0: The scope of this law is extremely broad. The more social interaction now with the increasing digitization of our society, this law is
1: applicable everywhere. Hello and welcome to Exploring Digital Spheres. My name is Wouter Bernhardt and in this episode I'm talking with Max von Grafenstein. Max followed an interesting path toward his digital studies, initially working in the film industry He became a lawyer and then got involved trying to protect data.
0: I didn't understand the concept of data. I didn't understand why should data be
1: protected per se. In this show, we talk about data protection and maybe more important, the protection of the autonomous individual. We're also speaking about the brand new GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation. Max is both researcher and consultant and in this capacity understands both how laws like the GDPR came into being... And at the same time, looks how laws like these are implemented by coming up with data protection certificates and behavioral guidelines. But before we dive into all of that, Max, could you please explain why we're having this conversation in a small seller-like corner of the Institute? Maybe to to start things off, you can talk to me about what this day is today. Because when we are trying to make an appointment... um, Florian said, oh, it's going to be super busy, everybody's going to be here. And you said, "Are you going to be here for the Tagesklausurrundgai. I was like, I have no idea what that is. Yeah, could you maybe explain what that is? Yeah, the mm, Klausurtagung. So this is just the internal
0: institution-wide conference at the Alexander von Humboldt Institute for Internet and Society and this is um, very important because um, it's one of the rare occasions um, where all the different researchers come together and actually hear what the others are doing and since we say, hey, we are doing
1: interdisciplinary research, it's never bad to hear what the others are actually doing. Um, maybe we can start by talking a bit about you and your research. Um, I was reading a little bit on the on the innovation and in law website, and what I found interesting is um, you, you might not have thought that you were going to be, when you were a kid, um, somebody who would be making objective normative scales in order to measure data protection risks. I cannot imagine how you as a 12-year-old think, like, yeah, that's, that's something I will be focusing on, you know? How, how did you eventually, like, what is your path? How did you eventually came to do this? Mm,
0: okay, so this was a, quite a random path, actually. So um, what I wanted to do always as a boy was to construct. To build some things so very hands on so uh, i wanted to, wanted to build um, cars and then I wanted to build um uh, houses being an
1: architecture and
0: then I
1: actually physical things yeah
0: really physical things, then it got more um digital or non physical uh, then I wanted to become a movie maker. Um, And finally, there were so many different things that I asked myself, working at at the German film set, um, what am I doing here? And I was really lacking some intellectual um, uh, inspiration or a barrier where I could, I don't know, uh, sharpen my, my mind. I couldn't sleep anymore at night so because I was disappointed and I was um, also desperate in a way because I thought I'm in a one-way um, uh, uh, a one-way um, direction um, f- for my life and um, it narrows down my possibilities I could do later on and I was always interested in doing so much stuff and I thought, okay, I stuck in, in this uh, filmity and I have to do something else, what really breaks up everything. And this was then law, ironically. The first thing, or astonishing thing, is um, was that I found out that law actually was, or studying law and now doing law was for me at least more creative than um, only working at a film set. I don't say that this is objectively, um, objectively the case, but for me it was the case. And then, nevertheless, um, yeah, of course, I worked um, as a lawyer in the film industry, um, and then the digitization um, really. Uh, became very strong and and apparent uh, uh, in our societies. And then not only copyright law became more and more important, but also data protection law. And data protection law was, in contrast to copyright law, a law where I didn't understand the purpose. So I didn't understand what this law is actually going to protect I didn't understand the concept of data I didn't understand why should data pre- be protected per se and so I thought okay now I have to really go to go one step back into research again and writing my uh, PhD thesis about this strange thing uh, data protection law
1: do you do you now after having Studied data protection, do you now understand it better, or do you think there's still like it's still a very abstract field to be working in
0: yeah, so at least me i I understand it much better uh, but surprisingly, I think I can also explain it better at least to France, so I think this is something like um, a LACMUS test, um, it's really like a test now, whether I'm able, after seven years of studying um, yeah, or writing my PhD thesis and doing further research, whether I'm really able to do it. So uh, for me, the interesting thing was that, um, in my opinion, the, it's all about the object of protection of data protection law. OK, what does this law actually want to protect? And uh, first of all, it's, of course, not data yeah, because data, it's more like um, a legal technical thing why the legislator said, okay, let's tie our regulation instruments into data. But in fact, there are other more substantial values behind that should be protected by data protection law. And first of all, uh, this is, of course, the individual autonomy. Yeah, because the legislators think that autom- autonomy by individuals might be threatened because of the automated processing um, of personal data. And w- what does it mean
1: that your autonomy is threatened?
0: Yeah, this means that um, you aren't able anymore, um, as before in the analog world, to um, conduct in a freely non-biased manner. But of course, and this is the main problem, I mean, what does autonomy really mean? And if you take this as an object of protection, how can this help you define as a lawyer or uh, as a data subject um, to say, hey, in this context, um, the processing of personal data is allowed or not, or yes, but only under these conditions. So, and the result is the concept of autonomy is far too broad to give these precise criteria. So, Uh, one of the main um, other outcomes of my uh, research was to narrow down the concept um, of autonomy. And you can do this. It's not the only way, but I think a very promising way is to refer, for example, to a fundamental rights of the data subject. So because if you look As a lawyer, you always look at the basic law or uh, at the fundamental rights. And then in many fundamental rights regimes, um, it always starts with um, the concept of autonomy or also called um, um, individual dignity. And then this very broad concept is specified by many other fundamental, more specific fundamental rights. For example, like rights uh, to privacy. Uh, privacy, and then again specified rights to privacy at home, rights to p- privacy by, uh, while using communications, uh, privacy in public, etc. etc. Or uh, beside the rights to privacy, you have um, fundamental rights to freedom, for example, the fundamental right to find an occupation, or the fundamental right to conduct a business, or, a business or the fundamental right to um, exercise um, your freedom of thought and um, religion um whatever or even um, yet another category of fundamental rights for example to judicial remedy a remedy and a fair trial or yet another category um, fundamental rights um, to non-discrimination yeah so we have many 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 different very specific guarantees enshrined enshrined in our constitution and in my opinion these can help very specific yeah, nicely to specify the broad concept of autonomy and referring to these more specific fundamental rights helps us finally to define, okay, which context is actually legally relevant and how do we have to, well, regulate the processing of personal data in these
1: contexts. Now, of course, you're talking about the autonomy has to be protected, right, in many ways. Yeah. Um, I'd like to maybe talk a little bit about how it can be violated this autonomy Um, because of course we talk about data you talk about all these fundamental rights but if we don't understand how data and maybe harvesting of data can be a violation of your rights then Who cares about whether it's protected or not? And I I saw there's a couple of examples that you had. Um, You're you're doing this research project, um, um, innovation and law. And one of them, one of the categories there is the smart car. I would like to maybe start by what kind of data is actually collected by this smart car of you that might in some way infringe your, your fundamental rights? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if we go, if we take the example of smart cars, I
0: would say, okay, this is a use case. And now we can ask, okay, and in which way might autonomy be um, yeah, violated or threatened just by the collection and processing of personal data, yeah? within or by smart cars? And this is where it starts because of course, you could say it's also a conceptual question, yeah if you say, hey, it's um, there is already a violation of autonomy if somebody is not allowed to precisely decide on whether it reveals personal data or not and for which purpose this data is processed, yeah then. You you can immediately say okay this is already the violation of autonomy, but in my opinion this is far too abstract, and it's more about that you really um, uh, refer to um, these more specific guarantees yeah uh, provided for by the fundamental rights for example that you say hey you really have to look um, at where this data is collected so is it at home no because it's in your car however your car. Can somehow be protected. Yeah, it's something um, something like a semi-public sphere. So this is one thing. And then the question is, and how is this data now uh, uh, now used? Um, for example, um, is this only used in order to uh, show you? Um, how to drive somewhere so that you can avoid um, a traffic jam? Yeah, then there is no negative impact on you. But of course, if, if the same data is used in order to find you because it is autom- automatically tracked how, qu- how 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 quick you drive somewhere, for example, in a in a speed limit um, zone. Yeah, um, and then you, uh, then you are fined. Then you can immediately see, in, hey, maybe there is some threat. Yeah, for your right to a fair trial, if this data is used in a way where you cannot object or where you cannot um, rectify the data or where you cannot um, um, explain the whole situation from another angle. However, what I want to say with this example is that it's really not about just disclosing data or not. Yeah? It's not as simple as that, but it's really about um, how the data is used and what Rights or instruments the data subject or me as a driver of a smart car have um in order to defend myself
1: against an unfair treatment of the data you already spoke a bit about the gdpr Um, uh, could you talk a little bit maybe about the the balance of power who gets to decide what is law and what is not and and who who benefits from making these laws because i can understand um there, there is not a broad consensus about what kind of rights you actually have and how they should be um, yeah, implied. Could you maybe talk a little bit about, maybe start by explaining what the GDPR actually is?
0: So this is the acronym for um, the uh, EU General Data Protection Regulation. And this is the new law, um, which, has come, which has become applicable 25th May uh, 2018. And it regulates the processing of personal data. Yeah, and now the question is, as an academic... You can ask, hey, how sh- should a new law be, sha- be shaped so that this new law, like the GDPR, perfectly balances the different interests yeah, on the data processing uh, in the
1: data processing uh, economy? Because yeah, between, between different interests between, for example, a business that is collecting the data and the government trying to regulate all of this.
0: Yeah, or, le- or rather, let's say between the data subjects, like us as consumers or citizens or whatever, and then the data processing entities which can be private entities like um, a credit agency or Google or Facebook or uh, just um, the next um, small um bakery which set up its website yeah whoever or the state yeah because also the state uh, process uh, process personal data and everybody has its own interests so individuals uh, um, seeking to, uh, to be protected yeah at least their their autonomy and then uh, the business interests of the um, of the economy and the state interest um, um, of the public authorities and this this law tried to balance all these different interests sounds like a nightmare well Actually, um, this is what each law has to go through, through such a nightmare. Uh, But regarding the GDPR, there was really a special challenge. And this special challenge was that um, there were um, 28 different member states which had to uh, come to an agreement about the object of protection. What do we want? what do we actually want to protect with this law and how do we do it? And here now, the problem was that each member states had um, an other understanding of data protection or privacy or um, privatheit yeah? whatever you name it. Yeah? There are so many different concepts out there. And there's also a second reason why this has been a nightmare. And this is because, I mean, the scope of this law is extremely broad, which means that the more Social interaction now, with the increasing digitization of our society, um, is based on the processing of data. Yeah. Now, given this defi- this broad definition, then you can see that this this law is applicable everywhere. And and you see this as a good thing. Well, um, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's very difficult to. answer this question is it good or bad so you can even uh, you could ask a little bit more precisely is this law functioning is it is it functioning there i have to say well it could function if interpreted right um but of course now all the conceptual confusion which was going on during the legislation process just continues now but now in the application phase and now there is the switch yeah, a little bit, you, you, you can make here the switch between being an academic who, yeah, who, who asked the question, hey, how sh- should this law be shaped? And now you, you could go into the application and ask as a, as a lawyer, for example, okay, how should we interpret this law and to make it applicable?
1: Maybe as a last question, uh, so you started this, this project or this, this website, this initiative called Innovation and in Law. What is, what is your aim with this particular initiative?
0: Yeah, this is a very nice question because this tackles an, a, a little bit like the last piece of the picture we, we were drawing, uh, trying to draw in this uh, podcast uh, because um, it refers, actually, it tries to address a problem which arises... Um, also, because of the di- digitization, because at least this is an assumption. We just say, "Hey, the di- digitization, of course, um, this makes much more things more feasible, yeah, and it's easier." So I can Skype with my cousin in Mexico, etc. But what we haven't realized so clearly um, in the last twenty, um, yeah, twenty years, was that also uh, the complexity of the social-technical systems in which yeah, uh, all the IT infrastructure lies, or is embedded, or, uh, yeah, or, uh, et cetera. And this is much more complex than before. Um, and the problem of this complexity is that it's moving so quickly. Um, so because of its innov- um, innovative capacity... And if we talk about innovation, then the big question is that we, um, so the big thing is that we actually do not know what we are talking about. Because yeah, what will be the innovation? Nobody knows. And this knowledge uncertainty is the biggest challenge for everybody of us. Not only us as consumers or citizens, but also for the private companies yeah, and even for the legislator. Though a big question was, so if the general data protection regulation wants to protect individual autonomy against the risks that are caused by the processing of personal data, yeah? or let's say by data-driven innovation, the question is, how should this be done if we do not know what the, what the future, what the next innovation will be? And um, there, this, is the biggest cha- this was one of the biggest challenges, and the result was that uh, normally laws are drafted in a very specific way. Um, normally, you say um, um, you have a conditional um, if if uh, if then sentence, uh, sentences. So you say, uh, "Hey, regulation agency, if you do this, then there will be a, a specific legal consequence." But you can only um, go for this uh, regulatory approach if you have sufficient knowledge. And if you don't know what re- what's really going to happen, you can't use this um, approach. And you have to go. You have to use much broader t- legal terms or even legal principles which give much more room um, for interpretation so you can tackle and adapt yeah, the interpretation to the future innovation. But in the same time, it increases massively legal uncertainty because nobody knows how to interpret that right. And this is one of the reasons of the huge outcry which uh, started with um, uh, with the GDPR yeah, last year because the scope is so broad and nobody knows how, how to apply it. Yeah, But the legislator has actually seen this problem and has uh, complemented this yeah, very open um, approach, yeah, open toward innovation, by um, a so-called um, co-regulation strategy. And this means that co-regulation um, instruments, for example, like certification mechanisms or codes of conducts, enable the data controllers to specify the very broad conditions on its own by negotiating with the um, uh, data protection authorities yeah, how, how, how this should be done. So um, it's this co-regulatory approach requires the data controller to much more proactively... Define itself the precise conditions of the law, yeah, and this is a very a very complex um, issue. And what we are doing with this startup is we we are trying to help companies um, or data protection wh- whoever to um, uh, set up these certification mechanisms or codes of conduct because I really think okay, this, if the GPR shall work. And this is the way
1: how it might be work, how it might work. So what you're trying to do is create some clarity yeah. for some of the parties that will be involved in the GDPR. Very nice. So I, a long, long text
0: delivered by me and a very brief and um, precise
1: uh, summary given by you. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. That was Max von Grafenstein. More information about his research is findable in the show notes of this week's episode. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about digital projects, or if you want to visit one of the Higgs events, visit hig.de. If you enjoyed listening to Max and you want to hear more conversations like these, let us know. Send us a message or tweet at HIG Berlin. Also, we'd very much appreciate if you could leave us a rating on iTunes. It'll help other people interested in digital themes find the show. For now, this was Exploring Digital Spheres. Catch you on the flip side.